When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to an emergency edition of Disloyal Idiots, the Troy Noons is an Absolute Magician podcast for at least another couple of weeks. We have extremely breaking news, well, not breaking anymore, but emergency news that we had to get together for. Uh, as Jim Morrison once said, this is the end. Uh, James Arthur Bayheim, after 47 years, is no longer the head coach of Syracuse basketball. I am Steve Haller. With me, as always, Christian Guzman and Andy Pregler. Uh, I don't really know how to open this. That was the best I could do. Fire away, guys, because this is this is news. I mean, the the crazy part about everything that just happened here was that we started this afternoon about ready to tear Joe Girard to shreds and have a referendum on the last two years of Syracuse basketball under Jim Beheim, And then what transpired is something that I can only call patently absurd because it was so predictable and yet still so blindsiding. In other words, Syracuse. That's <laughs> kind of... Uh, that's kind of what I'm going for here. <laughs> I, I, mean, <laughs> I, I mean, we legitimately had a press conference where Jim Beheim was playing smart ass about whether or not he was going to retire or not. I was going to say you could have stopped that and it wouldn't have been surprising. And then the, the second half of that on whether he was retiring or not is what makes it very awkward and where we are today. Very awkward. Yeah. Uh, so for those that did not watch what happened today, Syracuse played Wake Forest. Uh, they were down as much as 12 points at one point in time, I believe, um, and rallied back and had a chance to win it with about seven seconds left on the clock, to which Joe Girard chucked up a contested shot. And the Wake Forest Demon Deacons hit a buzzer beater. Jim Beheim walks into his press conference and I have it pulled up here, uh, goes in with a relatively somber attitude and talks a lot about how privileged he was to be the head coach at, or how privileged he is to be the head coach at Syracuse University. And, uh, you know, this is all 
been uh, quite a ride. And so then Donna DeTota, who obviously legend in the local reporting sphere, uh, question, are you saying right now that you're going to retire? Jim Beheim, this is up to the university. Question, you want to come back? Beheim, I didn't say that. Question, so what are you saying? You're not saying you're retiring. Beheim, I just said it. I don't know. Question, so you don't know? Beheim, I said this is up to the university. Question, how will you make a determination about when you will come back? Beheim, you're talking to the wrong guy. I don't. I mean, I don't know if there is a more Bayheim way that that could have gone. But also, it it hurts to see a legend go out like this. But also, I don't know. There's there's too many. There's like there's thoughts. There's emotions. There's all sorts of things going on right now. So let's start with the thoughts before we get to the emotions, because I think the emotions. There's there's a lot of negative emotions that come out of the thoughts before we get to the positive stuff. <laughs> I like the reality of that situation. Like it's just you know, this is what happens when a legend stays too long, uh, right. and that's why we know we've been here. None of this should be a surprise, and yet somehow it is the most surprising thing ever. Um, Syracuse announces that. So that press conference. Um, I'm looking at a tweet that tweeted about this. Um, you know it. it the, the press conference comes out and then Syracuse releases a statement. I, I probably about an hour or two later where the word retirement is never used. It says that today as his 47th season coaching his alma mater comes to an end. So does his storied career at Syracuse University. Associate head coach Adrian Autry, one of Bayheim's former players and longtime assistants, has been named the program's next head coach. Uh, Christian. You have read a lot of soccer sackings. This is one of the most passive aggressive uh, moving on statements that I have ever seen to the point that I was pretty sure that at some point Man U or Chelsea had released a statement along these lines uh, moving on from one of their managers. Well, the thing is, um, if this was a soccer statement, this would be two paragraphs consisting of no more than 200 words. Yeah, sounds right. (laughs) And it might have even been one uh, paragraph. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the Chelsea approach is usually just name the new guy and don't even acknowledge the other guy's gone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this, this, definitely, this definitely smelt of this was the university decision and not Bayheim's decision. Um, I'm not yeah. sure how long it's been known slash rumored because Syracuse is a private university, so contract details really aren't announced, but... It's been kind of known slash rumored slash known slash who knows that Bayheim's been on like rolling one year contracts for the longest time. Um, and so it was just going to always be someone was going to decide that he wasn't going to stick around. And in this case, it was the university's decision. Well, and uh, Jim, Jim was playing the, the ultimate game of chicken of like, yeah. hey, this isn't my decision. Even though we knew, like, for the and he, again, he to the, right, and to the last day he played coy, he's been for how long saying, you know, it's not up to me, it's up to the university. When we all knew for decades that it wasn't up to the university, it was up to him, and uh, he hung on long enough that 
here we are where it ended up being the university's decision instead of him being able to go out on his own terms. And I think this brings me to something that um, Pete Thamel tweeted out. Uh, sources, the timing of the announcement of Jim Beheim not returning and Adrian Autry taking over wasn't set until today. Autry had long been the administrative choice to be Beheim's successor, but the timing was not finalized until the Orange lost today. Uh, I think that says so much about the situation that we find ourselves in right now, because there have been rumors things that I don't think anybody here is like 100% comfortable saying uh, in a podcast setting uh, because we've all heard a bunch of things that have been unsubstantiated, but along the lines of ever since the Boston College game quotes, things have not been well up on the hill when it comes to Jim Beheim and it comes to his future here. And... To me, it does feel odd that you'd wait until the last second to uh, to make this kind of decision. However, it's very likely that. How do I want to put this? If Beheim is on a one year contract, getting uh, the way that you're going to get him out of there is going to be when the contract expires <laughs> and the contract does not expire until the season is over and the season ended today. And I think that's kind of where you're at, because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's been pretty obvious that Syracuse was not going to get any kind of postseason invitation from an NIT or the C, uh, CBI. Is that the that's the Even other one that got, we don't want they would like, have only to talk accepted, about? <laughs> they would have only accepted an NIT. There's no way they would have accepted a CBI invitation. Right, exactly. So the season was effectively over. Uh, today. And so if Jim Beheim is out of a contract, I, I guess the timing makes sense from that regard. But what I do think is uh, perhaps. And I, I guess, Steve, this is something again, Steve is old checkmark. Uh, just you have you have dealt with this university longer than Christian and I have. It is not surprising to me that there was a contingency plan in place that was known by the uppermost people and not necessarily anybody else except for those who needed to be involved. And in this case, it was Beheim and Autry and nobody else. Yeah, and I mean, I, I would assume that uh, Jerry may have known as well because when you look back at what he said on Saturday... That seems a lot more like a farewell than it does a celebration. And it seemed weird at the time, but now it makes a lot more sense. Um, I would assume he probably will not be retained on Red Staff and that he'll go find a, a coaching opportunity somewhere. Um, yeah, I don't know. this. The whole thing, like I've... Jesus, the Steve is old thing. Um, Christian, I think... Uh, let's see. I've apparently, uh, I just did the math, been following Syracuse basketball for 27 years. So um, that's that's definitively longer than you. Uh, <laughs> and I, is that longer than you've been on the earth, I believe? It depends on when you, it depends on the day. Uh. I, uh, <laughs> because I turned 27 in May. Uh. Okay, I got you slightly by like 
three months because <laughs> it would have been the 96 run that uh, the, mm-hmm. the 96 tournament run. So, yes, technically, I've been a fan of Syracuse basketball longer than you've been alive, which is frightening. And Jim Beheim has been the coach, all of that, and then some. Um, so, yeah, I... I can't I can't even think even in all that time of another decision that's been so like known but unknown. Well, actually, yeah. And they all involve Bayheim, the Hopkins coach and waiting thing. Any of that sort of uh, all the mess surrounding that. That was, you know, that was a, a known unknown. Like nobody nobody wanted to acknowledge that was a thing, but it was a thing. Um, it's just been this whole tenure has been. A weird since that that era since that whole thing went down uh i guess since <laughs> since mike hopkins coached those nine games uh yes <laughs> that that was the turning point uh the linchpin in the the syracuse basketball tenure so um i don't know it's just it's all weird to weird to think about anything or anyone but james arthur Bayheim on the sidelines of syracuse basketball and yet here we are. And I, th- I think, Steve, you hit on something that I kind of want to talk about with you guys a lot. Like the situation around Bayheim getting, uh, I mean, Bayheim not returning to coach next year is there's still so much that's unknown. Uh, but what we do know is that uh, uh, Adrian uh, Autry is going to be taking over. Red is going to be taking over as head coach. Um And I could not help but think about today if Mike Hopkins doesn't coach those nine games. Are we are we looking at what we're looking at today? And I I legitimately think in my heart in my heart of hearts um, that he is the head coach today if he doesn't have to take over for that nine game stretch. Because well, that stretch, I I have never seen public opinion turn on somebody so quickly. Yeah, and you and I were both writing for Noons at the time. I think that was right before you popped on, right, Christian? Were you? Oh, were you that was well. That was well before I popped on. Really? I was, how long's how long's Hop been gone? See, now now we're back to the Steve's old thing where I can't remember <laughs> things. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean that. If, you know, let, let's stay on brand and go with the, the standard Marvel what if. Like, yeah. if, those, if those games don't, if, if, J, if JB doesn't have to sit down for those games and Hop doesn't coach them, does the coach and waiting plan still go through? Does Hopkins never go to Washington? And is the succession plan still in place? And Hop's already been our coach for a couple of years at this point. Is, what season did, was that again? That was the that was the uh, sixteen seventeen season, right? I think game. I just I just wrote about this the other day. I'm pretty sure that was the seventeen eighteen season, but I'm not. I'm double checking right now. Syracuse. That was twenty fifteen twenty sixteen. Okay, yeah, okay. So that was the, all wrong. So that was the miracle final four run. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Which also, like, like let's put into context, like the Hopkins like stretch during that time as well. Um, 
Like, he probably could have avoided the Georgetown and St. John's losses. Um, same with the uh, same with the Miami loss at and Clemson losses at those times because, I mean, Miami and Clemson at those times weren't great. Um, the other two losses he took there were um, were Pitt and UNC, and that was when Pitt still had Jamie Dixon, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And UNC is always going to be UNC. So it is a mixed bag for Hawkins. I, I, I think I was young and naive enough um, in terms of my Syracuse basketball knowledge to see that it wasn't a total disaster because it's a tough situation to go into, um, especially for Hopkins during that time. Um, so I, and maybe this is also me speaking with roasted to glasses because I think I, I still think he should have been given a shot. Um, yeah. Well, look and, at, and, I, and I, and I still think like at some point he should have been given a shot. Right. Cause I mean, and I don't want to make, I don't want to, you know, turn this into a Mike Hopkins podcast, but, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, UNC. It was Georgetown to Clemson. So okay. his first game got thrown. He got thrown at Georgetown, you know, uh, three years out of the Big East, like still the, still Georgetown as Georgetown or the rivalry still being the rivalry. Um, then, you know, Colgate at St. John's, same kind of deal. Cornell, Montana State, Texas Southern at Pitt at Miami, home against Clemson, who the Clemson game he lost in overtime. Um like it wasn't I'm, I, I was with you when it happened and I'm with you now that it wasn't a bad stretch per se um, but and remember that team that team wasn't that Syracuse team wasn't particularly great no I mean, that was barely a sneak got into, into the, the tournament final. yeah it barely got into the tournament so either way um, you know I guess I guess the what if train is is what it is Um and well, I think I think an important part of that is the uh, the the media narrative that came after Hop's run. It wasn't that necessarily Hop did poorly. The Georgetown game was definitively probably the worst game of that stretch, uh, and, but it was the first game, so you can come up with an excuse for it. Right. It was that media story that came out afterwards about the 1201 practice and the Bayheim quotes about how he could he was watching at home and was screaming at the TV about how he would be doing things differently. And it was the classic Jim Bayheim where you can love him for being honest. And I think that there was a lot of love over the honesty of like, haha, he gets to be one of us now. Uh, who screams and yells at the basketball team coach and thinks that we could be doing better than the coach. Um, but there's the very real sense of undermining your next coach in waiting, li- really ruining a lot of the respect, not just in the team, but around the team that that he had with it. And again, like the situation played out the way it was, it's... I don't think you could have expected the situation to play out any differently because of who the people are. But the minute that that played out and it became an option to ignore the plan. Yep. It was always, we were always going to ignore the plan. Jim Beheim was always going to stay longer. And at that point you, that 
decision leads us to today because that was the day that Jim Beheim became bigger than the university, became bigger than anything at Syracuse. Well, and no, that was that was the day that it publicly he publicly became bigger because yeah. he yes. had been pulling the strings for a a long time. That is that's actually more accurate. Yes. And yeah. uh, what also yeah. didn't help was the uh, honestly, which kind of also plays into this entire thing, was the AD transition. Because I'm pretty sure it was Coyle who put in the retirement plan in place. Yeah. And yes. then and then they switched to Wild Hack. I think and I think it also the plan immediately got axed once Wild Hack got into position as A D. Because I think Behan could really see okay, now I've got my leverage to end it actually how I want to end it. Yeah, and that's the the, yeah. the, the Wild Hack conversation is its own animal and where where that is and where the power lies and what's happened, you know. Um, but, I, yeah, I I don't know. It's, I, I guess, do we do we want to keep going on this? Do we want to move on to red? Do we want to? I know we're, we're saving for after halftime the, uh, for anyone who's wondering why we're going the way we are, uh, our, our waxing poetic about Beheim and legit because the, the guy is a legend. The guy is the, he he's meant so much to all of us that the the back half of the pod will be all of the the waxing poetic about him and you know whatnot. But like there there's still a lot of other questions as to what happened and how Red ended up being the guy and why. Have you have either of you guys read the club? Um, it's a book about the Premier League in the late '90s once they've reformed as the Premier League. Um, and how it became what it is today. Oh. I should. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I should. I, I'm with you as well, Steve. I should. Yeah. Um, I'll send you. I'll send you the link for it. Um, the review on it was that it was Game of Thrones, but sports. And all I can think about in this situation is that this is some Game of Thrones esque thing that we've been playing at since about 2014. <laughs> Um, which for all of us was when we directly stepped into the sphere of being in the quote unquote media. And I use quote unquote doing so much heavy lifting there. Right. <laughs> um, but it's when all of us kind of started like getting into this space. And well, no, I, I techni just... technically I did have a Syracuse blog in 2006 back in the day with Sean. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was one of the OGs and then I ran away for a long time. <laughs> well, you came back. Um, so, so, Steve, so Steve has had his Miami Heat moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Here we are. Uh, yeah, but the, the, this is and I think, Steve, to your point about like, we're not going to know things like that's the, that's the deal here is that this is a books worth of content and context that we are trying to decipher now in when, an hour <laughs> right yeah well not just like in an hour but like in a day like i uh, you go through twitter right now and search jim Beheim, and the retrospectives are all very like in the moment flash of the pan waxing poetic or tearing down the way that things went this year when the reality is, is that this is the culmination of a 47 year process of a guy who built 
with some of the other legends of the sport built arguably the greatest conference that this sport has ever seen watched that conference all apart decides to be part of conference realignment which was something that he had chastised and then becomes not just the last man standing uh, of the Big East, but becomes the last man standing of his entire generation. And I, I think that that like something my wife said that I thought was really like really true. I cannot imagine being anywhere in one space for 55, 60 years, however long it was that Jim Beheim has been at Syracuse. I cannot imagine having to go through what you've gone through in the last few years where you probably know it's time, but you're not ready to step away yet. And then you have this situation unfold where for the first time in your entire career, you have to do something that you've never done before. And I just think it's really, again, to quote, to quote Sean Keeley, like this was always how it was going to end. Yeah. And I, I think that that's the part that I find so fascinating is that we've known that this is coming and yet it still feels surprising. It still feels shocking. It still feels all of these things. Yeah, I mean, this is it's literally 60 years since Beheim set foot on the hill. And this is the Beheimiest ending we could have. Um, I mean, yeah, <laughs> like for him to go out being a curmudgeon in a press conference and then having to literally, I mean, you read the quote earlier. Uh, it's not my choice. It's up to the the university. And then the university saying, here, hold my beer. And just being like, all right, Red's a coach. Like that, what, <laughs> how you can't, as, as Ian Dark would have said, you cannot write a script like this. Slightly different context, but still fits. Like that, uh, what, how? Like, there's no way this this should have ended like this. But also, this is the only way this could have ended. Yeah. I think one of the other things that is so interesting about this entire situation is that we know that there's another shoe to drop. And that other shoe is James Arthur Bayheim talking on or off the record with somebody with one of his friends at Delmonico's or over the phone. <laughs> yeah, we're we're going to get the Joey's interview. conversation coming down in a couple of months. I mean, it sounds like Pete Thamel is going to be the one to get the exclusive here. Um, but maybe it's Mike. Maybe it's Donna. Maybe he just goes on Dan Patrick tomorrow and does the tell all. <laughs> <laughs> that is a name I have not thought of in so quite a while. <laughs> and it's so long that you even misquoted it. But Poliquin. Poliquin, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but My yeah, God. you know, we'll be we'll be waxing poet about uh <laughs> all the uh, Imagine after all of this he talks to Andy Katz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, would that would we have to rename the pod then? Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> because something will inevitably come from that conversation. But, but this is the point. Like this is the thing about him that is so infuriating and yet lovable. He is so predictable that we know this is going to happen. 
happen. And yet he is so chaotic that we have no idea how it's actually going to unfold, which was so, this in a nutshell. So what you're saying is Jim Beheim is the perfect protagonist for a Clint Eastwood movie. Jim, Jim Beheim is Clint Eastwood. I mean, there was an empty chair at one point in time in like 2015, 2016. So, you know, we, we really did have all the pieces there. <laughs> uh, how many how many times is Jim Beheim uh, for the rest of his life going to revel sitting on the front porch of his house in Fayetteville and screaming at the youths to get off his lawn? Yeah, it sounds right. Although it now is. now he can go to his skinny atlas uh <laughs> to his skinny atlas retreat and not have to worry about it. That incredible the skinny athlete skinny atlas retreat a whole twenty minutes away. Oh gosh. Uh, yeah, that's about as far as Jim Beheim will go outside of Syracuse. Uh, <laughs> we we got we just gotta get Rick Patino to ask him where he where uh his first vacation spot was and see if it uh see if it's still Syracuse, New York. Oh, don't make Jim Beheim. He's getting like someone like Rick Pitino to like do the the be all tell all interview. I don't know if I could watch forty minutes of Rick Pitino and Jim Beheim talking in a room. Oh God, make it stop. I, 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 yeah. Well, you know what's not going to stop? Home field apparel. There we go. <laughs> we got there. And if you didn't, and if you didn't think we were going to sell out during a. <laughs> A, a reflection on Jim Beheim's career. My friends, you are sadly mistaken. And you also I mean, know was... that this got pulled together really quick because none of us are wearing home field apparel right now. <laughs> I was going to say, now that Jim Beheim is no longer the head coach at Syracuse men's basketball, maybe Connor should reach out to the Jim Beheim, Jim and Julie Beheim Foundation and ask about making a T-shirt that is cozy and soft and made with the eco-sustainable dyes and materials that we can all wear uh, especially when you use the promo code NUNES, N-U-N-E-S, for 10% off your first order at Home Field Apparel. Quickest home field ad read ever because... Uh, no, tell them to make a Syracuse jacket because the Kansas State one day drop today is really good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we need the bomber jacket. We need... I mean, you know what? This is Jim Beheim's next career, home field model. Let's go. Come on. He's still he's still like a pretty slim guy. Those those shirts are made for made for some slimmers. Uh, I'm not sure if Carter wants that or vehemently hates that idea. Yes. Listen, he he <laughs> got 87. Okay, that's that's not a, actually Beheim might not do it because of 87. Let's yep. let's be real here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jim Beheim is no longer the head coach of Syracuse basketball. That that falls to. Um, I forget if he was the assistant coach, if he was the associate coach. Um, the 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 answer is that uh, a guy who has been waiting a very long time, uh, Adrian Autry, is now the head coach. He has been involved with Syracuse for over uh, the press release says over 30 years. Um, I never saw him play basketball. I mean, he played he from 90 to 94. That was actually slightly before me. We got to go to Kevin yeah. for that one. Yeah, so I can't really talk about like him as a player. I just know him as a Ooh. recruiter and coach. And, you know, the press release calls out Jeremy Grant, Tyler Ennis, O'Shea Brissett, Tyler Lydon, Chris McCullough exclusively as like his, you know, the ones that he worked the closest with. Those are some pretty good players. Um, the recruiting aspect of this definitely changes face because, yeah, 
Autry is now the face of the program and not Jim Beheim, and there's a lot of work to be done with this roster for next year. Yeah. Well, you also oh. know there it's not as up in the air as to is Jim going to go, is Jim not going to go, and now, you know, high school kids may want to commit to a a, a coach who is known to going to be there, assuming you know things go well. Um, also, random soccer fact, uh, while well, soccer tie-in. Uh, take a wild stab at where Red Autry played professionally in 1995. If it's soccer related, you're going to go like Osberg or something, right? No. In the Turkish League, he played for Besiktas. Ah, Besiktas. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Neat. <laughs> uh, and the Brooklyn Kings, apparently, at one point. Didn't know that was a thing. What's like when Tyler Ennis was in the uh, Turkish League, played for Fernabache? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely weird. I think that we'll wait to do the Adrian Autry. What situation is he stepping into pod until Sunday? Uh, that sounds like a great way to kill oh 30 minutes. That'll, yeah. Uh, yeah. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> so with, with the last 20 minutes or so, um, yeah. Jim Beheim is no longer the head coach of Syracuse basketball. And I don't know if you guys have kind of experienced this today since the news broke, but like I'm walking up and down my hallway. Like I have a piece of the carrier dome roof framed uh, in my hallway. I have a piece of the 03 court signed by Beheim in our window. I've got a sign that says like home, uh, home sweet dome. Uh, hanging up in our living room like there's just like all these reminders of Cuse are everywhere in my life as we watch Steve uh, if you're watching on Twitch you're gonna see yeah there it is that's a yeah signature, I, right there <laughs> it's you didn't get a signature on a dome 10 Steve come on missed opportunity no I've still got like three in my basement though um, <laughs> and I have a signed basketball from the 03 team over there like there's Jim Beheim is everywhere around this room and I think that this is like the biggest thing is that for so long, it was such a given that Jim Beheim would be there. And now he's not. And now looking at these reminders of Syracuse, it, it does feel like a piece of all of us has kind of moved on in a way that like is natural when you think about a college or a university that you went to or that represents a time in your life that was in the past. Um and now it just feels so much more real. And at least at least for me, I I interacted with Jim Beheim once directly when I ran into him in Manly. Literally, I opened a door, wasn't looking where I was going and ran into him. Uh, and then every other every other instance, I was on the team plane as the mascot and just like watching the team live their life uh, in the context of an NCAA tournament situation. Um, so I don't have any good Jim Beheim stories. I just have the thing of when you think of Syracuse, you think of Jim Beheim. When you meet somebody who knows Syracuse, they ask you about the basketball team because of Jim Beheim. Yeah. Living in New York City, when I am wearing a vintage home field apparel shirt or my or my script Syracuse hat, if somebody's talking to me, they're talking to me about the 80s Big East. And Jim Beheim is the definition for Syracuse of that. And I don't there's like that is what Syracuse is to so many people throughout the country. And Jim Beheim is the reason that that is the case. Yeah, he's 
he's ubiquitous with the program. Like he's he's been here. It's the it's the old you know he comes with the carrier dome, but now we're at the we're we're looking at the backside of it, and it's like. I, I mean, as long as as long as I've ever known anything Syracuse related, it's been tied to James Arthur Beheim, and like his name's on the goddamn court. <laughs> like, it's not like this is just a flash in the pan coach. Like he's been there sixty years. His name's on the court. He's been there for the ups and downs, mostly ups. Uh, the downs have only been recently. Like. He's the second winningest coach of all time. He's got 1,100 plus wins. Yes, I'm going to quote that number. Uh, it's like I, you, you. He's. It's always been he's this crazy curmudgeon, but he's our curmudgeon. And now, like even on the way out, he was our curmudgeon. But like, yeah, I don't know. It's such a complicated, complicated legacy. It's weird for I, me because I never so my Syracuse upbringing is weird. I never really followed uh sports uh, especially college sports and Syracuse sports until I you know got into Syracuse. Um my back for those who don't know my background was theater. I was always a theater kid growing up and so I spent a lot of my free time just focusing on that. And then I just watched sports on the side because it was something else I liked. Um and so, really, my first knowledge of college sports and college basketball, in turn, never came until that when I committed a well, for a crew when I when I got off when when uh, I got into Syracuse mm-hmm. in twenty in twenty thirteen. That happened to be a good year to start focusing on Syracuse basketball. Um, all, all the way up until throwback BC uniforms happened. I was um, going to say we're we're quoting we're, since I started the uh, <laughs> the song or the uh, the pods quoting songs like Newfound Glory said it's all downhill from here at one point and uh, you you kind of hit that one. <laughs> it was really it was really all downhill after my first year of focusing on Syracuse basketball. God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, wow. I, yeah. I forgot that that's how that transition worked. Mm-hmm. So, so, so it is weird because, like, once I, I've only really studied Syracuse basketball with knowing Jim Beheim when he was always playing two, the two-three zone. When I was still learning about you know the legend of Jim Beheim and stuff like that. Yeah, were then, you, you know, were you really confused when you went back and watched that O three tape of the title game? <laughs> It's like, well yeah. on. They're not playing zone. What's going on? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Because what was it, 09 when he started playing exclusively zone? Something around there, yeah. Yeah. And the, like, the, <laughs> that was like a concept that I didn't understand for two years as well. I just knew that Syracuse played zone. Right. And... um. So, so that's my weird relationship with Jim Beheim and Syracuse Sports just in general is that, you know, I'm one of those recent fans who didn't know about the glories of Syracuse Georgetown. Right. I'm one of the Syracuse fans who didn't understand how important the Big East was until I got on the campus and started hearing it from the rest of the people who who lived that. Right. Well, so, it's, it's funny. Even, even me, who I've been watching 
Syracuse basketball since 96. Like, I still, like, that. the John Wallace team was the one that got me into uh, enjoying Syracuse basketball. And like, what will be really fun is this story. Um, I've said it before. I've only been to like three, four games as a fan mm-hmm. at, Sy- at Syracuse. I've been to every other one as a media member. And it's weird for me being one of the football writers on this uh, website for me to go to my first ever football game, which, as many of you know, was the Nova game in 2014. Mm-hmm. And I distinctly remember asking one of my hallmates who I went to the game with for that first game, who happened to be from Syracuse, and asking him, so who's the quarterback on this team? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> but, so, like, that now, that, uh, what I'm getting at at this point is, like, Syracuse sports knowledge doesn't always transcend right. students. Uh, but one of the few things I did know when I first started following Syracuse is one of the first things I knew about Syracuse was this is Jim Beheim school. The program is Jim. The program is known for Jim Beheim. Kind of like in the same way when I, you know, got more into college basketball. The first things I knew about college basketball was the Tobacco Road rivalry and Roy Williams and Mike Krzyzewski. Yep. That's when I first started following casually college basketball, maybe four or five years before I got into Syracuse. But then once I got into Syracuse, I knew Jim Beheim. This is Jim Beheim's program. And that's the association, the strong association that Bayheim had with Syracuse. And I think that's one of the things that's going to be sorely missed is that program identification to people who are new to the program and new to the sport. Yeah, it's and we've seen other programs go through it at this point, too. And it's it's not not easy. I mean, it, yeah. It's it's going to be we're not in for a um, I mean, hell, we may be. But if I was if I was a betting man, we're not in for a smooth transition and everything being peachy keen and, you know, us going back to, you know, winning games left and right next year. I mean, we're we're in. Well, sorry, Christian, uh, we're in post post uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, Manchester United mode right now. Oh God! Of like post, post oh. Arsene Wenger Arsenal mode. Yeah. I well, mean, no, post Arsene Wenger mode right now is turning out to be pretty okay. But it took a, a good couple of years. I they wanted. I mean, that I think that that's like the point is that you had uh, Unai Emery there, who ended up being a great manager. Yeah. But he followed a legend, and it was never going to work. Oh, David Moyes at United, same deal. Mm-hmm. Like. Solid manager at Everton goes to United completely out of his element. Doesn't work out. Here we are. Was holding his own last year just fine. I think. Uh, oh, I this conversation uh, actually made me look up the Mark Titus Ringer article about Jim Beheim, which, if you haven't read it, is from 2017, mm-hmm. um, when Jim Beheim was 73 years old. Um, Sorry, these things just blow my mind as I reread this. Um, but if you haven't read it, uh, we'll link it in the in the show notes and in the um, uh, in the article uh, on on noons. But like he hits the nail on the head. Um, it's and, like I'm just going to read this. Uh, I'm just going to read this quote real quick. Um, 
all of this is a roundabout way of saying that now feels like a good time to start trying to parse Jim Beheim's legacy. Uh, again, hilarious. Because while he's one of the most fascinating figures the sport has ever seen, he's also nearly impossible to pin down. If I'm oversimplifying things, but it feels like all of the other all-time coaching greats have distinct identities. All these, and then he goes off and leads the different, he reads off about a bunch of different things and says, if you asked 50 different fans to, def- to, to describe Jim Beheim in a single sentence, you would get 50 different answers. All these assessments are fair, but none alone come close to capturing Beheim's essence. And I think what we've seen in the last three years is those 50 different opinions kind of coalesce around the worst aspects of Jim Beheim, the whiner, the stubborn, the uh, refusal to adapt and change the guy who you feel like is bullshitting you at every turn. Those used to just be aspects of his identity. Those became his identity the last few years. But for most of his time at Syracuse, uh, Beheim was a little bit of everything. And I think that that worked to Christian, to your point of like transcending a student consciousness where it didn't really matter what kind of person you were and what your relationship to Syracuse was. There was this Jim Beheim figure who could be a little bit of whatever you needed him to be in that moment. I think that's also like what worked really well with the teams that he had, like the hearing the 2003 team talk about Beheim and the way that Mello talked about him versus the way that a guy like Warwick or a guy like Jerry talks about him. Like you would think that they were talking about different coaches, different people. Uh, but it's just that this guy contains multitudes and at his peak, he could be whatever you needed him to be to get the best out of that situation. Um, and I do think that that is something that is going to take some time for us to kind of remember about him, but is probably one of the most endearing qualities about uh, out Beheim. And I just remembered that in that article, it had it literally has a description of Jim Beheim as the guy who can't stop picking his nose. And yeah, we went the I went almost 53 minutes without bringing that up. Things can be two things, Andy. Did you see the uh, video that your that your fellow auto uh, Jeff Kirkchen posted on Twitter? I can't say that I did. He so he lowered he he like lowered his Syracuse flag at half mass while whistling the. uh, the um um alma mater uh saluted it and then at the end picked his nose on the on the camera that that is yeah that tracks that's like the perfect encapsulating way to honor the syracuse (laughs) retirement ceremony yeah like does does the city of syracuse like fly their flags at half mast at this point tomorrow because it's it really is it's the end of an era I mean, take yeah. it for what you will, uh, Christian. You were you were waxing poetic about how you got into Cuse basketball uh, back in '96. Like it was the post real quote unquote real Big East, and I had gotten in on the heels of that run, and it was you know Beheim. Even then, was uh, he was a fiery whatever the hell Jim is. And he, he, back then, he was evolving with the teams that he had. 
those those Wallace teams weren't the same as what we saw with you know uh, Jason Hart and Ryan Blackwell and that whole crew and they weren't and Tom Thomas and they weren't the same as what we saw with uh, you know Heck and Mac and Mello and like these squads kept evolving and now here we are where he got stuck in you know mired in doing whatever he's been doing these last couple of years where we're seeing as much as much as we were and it's i don't i don't know how to i guess i still can't parse what the hell we just saw or lived through or experienced these last couple of years it's it really is surreal for any of us that have been following way too closely like the three of us tend to. I am just like, I think we should really round this out by just like your favorite Syracuse basketball memory um, with Jim and, and like where what Jim Beheim played a role in that for. Because for me, uh, I remember the final four run my junior year that was the montana and cal year uh in the first round the year that cal could not get back into this mm. uh but that, that was, year that that was your freshman year no that was my junior year that was my junior year okay i was 21 uh not helping a whole lot but no, helping a little bit no i was that watching was- that at a fucking bachelor party in vermont <laughs> <laughs> That was that was the year I took a tour of Syracuse for the first time. Oh God! Wow. Okay. I didn't Ron, think now, now. I didn't think this was going to be the pod that hammered holding the Steve is old. <laughs> We're talking about a guy who's been at Syracuse's campus for like fifty plus years. Of course, that was going to be the case. Fair. Um. But yeah, there's. Uh, I just remember that there was the game that they beat. Um. Uh, who did they beat? They beat they they beat somebody in the final or in the elite Michigan? eight. Uh, no, Michigan's the team they lost to in the final four. Yeah, no, to no. get to get to get to uh, on, in DC on Georgetown's court. Yeah, um, forget forget what it is, but I remember that my my roommate, well, my ex roommate, was the auto uh, for that game and just hugged Rakeem Christmas. And I remember him coming back on the team flight and everybody being so excited. And I think one of the th- enduring things about Jim Beheim is that he never really knew what to do when they won a big game. Like he always like was very clearly happy, but didn't quite know how to celebrate slash felt uncomfortable celebrating. And he just had that goofy little grin that he has when he doesn't really know what else to do. And he kind of does like the awkward wave mm-hmm. uh, with the limp with the limp wrist and like just the, yeah, like it's like a celebration in 2003. I was going to say for me, it was him with the hat in 2003. A hundred percent. Like when you think of the happiest you ever saw Jim Beheim, that was it. Uh, it was awkward. It was really weird, but he was really happy and he had an awesome hat on. We need to have a national orange cowboy hat day in in honor of of, of James Arthur. Not the dog. <laughs> not the not the dog. Does how does that work out for Casillo? 
I mean, I, at this point, I, you, it, it's a good name for 47 years. After 47, then then you gotta <laughs> then you gotta reevaluate. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, my. Um. Wow. Guys, uh, I never thought that we'd do this pod. I mean that very seriously. Yeah. This like very much felt like a surreal day that would come through, come down the pipeline. I didn't think we would do it in this fashion. That is also true. Right. You know, it's, you know, you know, Beheim didn't want the farewell tour or whatever. But also, like, I didn't think it would be an emergency. <laughs> I think there would be some forewarning. I, I we I think we all did and somehow there wasn't <laughs> yeah somehow there wasn't I I also think that right now is a testament to the only thing that can make the three of us remotely speechless is the fact that we're sitting here having to talk about this yeah yeah uh man i'm uh, i yeah i was gonna say this is gonna be a weird week uh next week uh this week's this weekend show the sunday night show is gonna be exciting and weird uh new frontiers for everybody but i think we'll have a lot more context by then on what happened today we'll probably have some more great Bayheim stories coming out from people uh but gentlemen the uh disloyal idiots podcast has out survived Jim Beheim. <laughs> yes, I was about to say that. <laughs> I knew where that was going. <laughs> uh, you know, two weeks two weeks in, we've made it. We <laughs> did it. We made it. Yeah. Actually, you uh, know what? Technically, the Trainings is an Absolute Magician podcast also did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was, that was a... barely. That was barely by the skin of its team. <laughs> oh, uh, Are we sure this wasn't just a big five-head play from Vox? just looking for those extra hits on the way out (laughs) oh they knew they knew one of their members is on the board of trustees or something (laughs) oh man just absolutely wild and i love it uh ladies and gentlemen that has been the emergency episode of the disloyal idiots podcast the troy noon's magician is an absolute absolute magician podcast for now uh, thank you so much for listening. If you tuned in live on Twitch, we really appreciate it. Uh, if you were listening to this on your podcast provider of choice, make sure you like and subscribe. Helps us trick the AI into expanding the Ottoman Empire and will also help you when we officially switch our feed name and logos and all these things. Um, make sure that you stay up to date with everything that we've got going on. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter. Make sure uh you share some of your favorite jim behind memories i think that this is going to be an opportunity for all of us as a community to kind of come together over some positive memories uh and again thank you for tuning into this emergency edition uh it's it feels weird to say but uh we sign off the same way every time uh but go orange <laughs> go orange go orange <laughs>